Let's return this morning to 1 Timothy 1. We're looking at the last three verses of 1 Timothy 1. We'll read the chapter together, page 1177 in your pew Bibles. Paul is giving a charge to Timothy, pastor in the church at Ephesus, to stay the course, to wage the good warfare, fight the good fight for the gospel and against the enemies of the gospel, the lies of Satan. The chapter begins with that charge and then ends with a reminder of it. And so we're back at that reminder, 18 through 20, 1 Timothy 1. Let's hear with faith the word of the Lord. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus, by command of God our Savior and of Christ Jesus our hope, to Timothy, my true child in the faith, grace, mercy, and peace from God the Father and Christ Jesus our Lord. As I urged you when I was going to Macedonia, remain at Ephesus so that you may charge certain persons not to teach any different doctrine nor to devote themselves to myths and endless genealogies which promote speculations rather than the stewardship from God that is by faith. The aim of our charge is love that issues from a pure heart and a good conscience and a sincere faith. Certain persons, by swerving from these, have wandered away into vain discussion, desiring to be teachers of the law without understanding either what they're saying or the things about which they make confident assertions. Now we know that the law is good if one uses it lawfully, understanding this, that the law is not laid down for the just but for the lawless and disobedient, for the ungodly and sinners, for the unholy and profane, for those who strike their fathers and mothers, for murderers, for the sexually immoral, for men who practice homosexuality, enslavers, liars, perjurers, and whatever else is contrary to sound doctrine, in accordance with the gospel of the glory of the blessed God with which I've been entrusted, I thank him who's given me strength, Christ Jesus our Lord, because he judged me faithful, appointing me to a service Though formerly I was a blasphemer, persecutor, an insolent opponent, but I received mercy because I had acted ignorantly in unbelief. And the grace of our Lord overflowed for me with the faith and love that are in Christ Jesus. The saying is trustworthy and deserving of full acceptance that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners of whom I am the foremost. But I received mercy for this reason that in me, as the foremost, Jesus Christ might display his perfect patience as an example to those who were to believe in him for eternal life. To the king of the ages, immortal, invisible, the only God, be honor and glory forever and ever. Amen. Now our text. This charge I entrust to you, Timothy, my child, in accordance with the prophecies previously made about you, that by them, by these prophecies, you may wage the good warfare, holding faith and a good conscience. By rejecting this, some have made shipwreck of their faith, among whom are Hymenaeus and Alexander, whom I have handed over to Satan, that they may learn not to blaspheme. God bless His holy word to our hearts and lives.
brothers and sisters in Christ Jesus, what would you fight for? What are you willing to fight for? Would you put up a fight if a nation attacked Canada to try to destroy our freedoms? Would you fight for freedom, civil freedom? Would you put up a fight if a drug or sex trafficker came to kidnap your child? Would you fight for your child? Would you put up a fight if someone falsely accused you and tried to get you thrown into prison? Would you fight for justice? What would you fight for? Would you put up a fight if your faith was being attacked and someone was assaulting, assaulting, trying to destroy the truth on which you've built your life and your family? Is the Christian faith worth fighting for? It's good to fight for political freedom and for your children and for justice, but why is it that so many people in the Christian church are slow to fight for their faith? It's tragic. Because faith is the most important of all these freedoms. It's the only foundation for hope in this life and in the world to come. The eternal foundation. It's eternally important. The other things are important. This is eternally important. Here in this passage, Paul is reminding Pastor Timothy of the charge given to him to wage the good warfare, fight the good fight, holding faith and a good conscience. It's a charge to Christian church leaders across the ages and to every Christian. Paul gives it in chapter 1 twice, and then again at the end, 6 verse 12. Fight the good fight of the faith. Lay hold on eternal life to which you've been called. Don't let go of the faith. Because if you don't wage war, If you don't wage this warfare, congregation, the consequences are severe. You'll make shipwreck of your faith. But if you do wage this warfare, your faith will grow and Jesus will have a stronger and deeper presence in your life because that's what faith is. It's not believing in your faith. It's looking to Christ. The more we look to him, the stronger and deeper his presence is in our lives. It's a faith worth fighting for. First, we want to see the power of prophecy. Wage the good warfare by remembering the prophecies made about you, Timothy. And by holding faith and a good conscience, the importance of holding on. And thirdly, the danger of shipwreck. It's a faith congregation, the Christian faith. It's a faith worth fighting for. And to fight this fight, To wage this good warfare, Timothy, you need to do that in accordance with the prophecies that were made about you. Look at verse 18. This charge I entrust to you to fight the good fight, to wage the good warfare. This charge I entrust to you, Timothy, my child, in accordance with the prophecies previously made about you. That by them, by what? By these prophecies made about you, you may wage the good war. You need to rely on those prophecies now. Don't do this in your own strength. Rely on these prophecies. 
Now the charge given to Timothy, remember it was in verse 5, as I urged you when I was going to Macedonia, remain at Ephesus so that you may charge certain persons not to teach any different doctrine. Some at Ephesus are at war with the Christian faith. They want to undo the foundation of the Christian church. And they're destroying their own faith and destroying, trying to destroy the faith of others by their lies and half-truths. And Timothy must fight for the gospel against the enemies of the gospel. So must we. It's not easy because we know two things about Timothy. He's a young man. How's he supposed to fight all these high-profile figures in his community and their network of supporters? That's daunting. That's frightening. The other thing we know about Timothy, he's not only a young man, he's a timid man. That's why Paul says to him in 2 Timothy 1, Timothy, God gave us a spirit not of fear, but of power and love and self-control. Timothy was timid. He was frightened of the battle and its personal costs and strains and drains on his life and naturally afraid to stand up to these enemies of the gospel, these strong imposing figures in the church of Ephesus who are ready to take him down. Paul says you've got to keep this charge in accordance with the prophecies previously made about you. By these prophecies wage the good warfare. Lean on the things that were said to you at your ordination. That's what he's talking about, these prophecies. Remember, Timothy was Paul's spiritual child. And on his first missionary journey, Timothy heard the preaching of the gospel in Lystra in Asia Minor. He came to faith in Jesus Christ. And then in the second missionary journey, he heard Paul again. And Paul appointed Timothy to become a pastor, a minister, an evangelist. And so they held the ordination service at Ephesus. And we read about that and you jump ahead three chapters to chapter 4, verse 14. Just look there a moment. Chapter 4, verse 14 of 1 Timothy. And we'll see what happened there. Prophecy happened at his ordination. 1 Timothy 4, verse 14. Don't neglect the gift you have, Timothy, which was given you by prophecy when the council of elders laid their hands on you. So there was the ordination service. And in that ordination service, the council of elders, the body of elders, laid their hands on Timothy's head. And prophecies. The word of the Lord was spoken over his life and over his ministry. Now we don't know exactly what was said. But promises, prophecies, the word of God, that's what he's referring to, were given to Timothy in the charge. And now, Timothy, you must dwell on those words and rely on them and stake your life on them and rest four square on the word of the Lord because it's the word of the Lord that will give you courage and confidence in the face of strife and danger and intimidation. We have some examples of these kinds of prophecies or promises like one chapter or two chapters after our text, 1 Timothy 3, this prophecy or promise is made to deacons. 1 Timothy 3, verse 13. 
for those who serve well as deacons, gain a good standing for themselves and also great confidence in the faith that's in Christ Jesus. Isn't that an encouragement to you, deacons? To labor diligently, even in the face of hardship and struggle. God has made a promise over your life. When you do your work for Him and you do it diligently, He will bless you richly and build the church. Or this promise to Timothy in chapter 4. Keep a close watch on yourself, Timothy, and on the teaching, on the doctrine. Persist in this, for by doing so, you'll save both yourself and your hearers. Well, that's a great promise. If I persist in this, I'll save myself. I'll be saved by the word that I'm preaching. And so will the hearers. Well, that's a good reason to wage the good warfare. Or this promise in 2 Corinthians 10. For all God's people, though we walk in the flesh, we don't wage war according to the flesh like the world does. For the weapons of our warfare are not weapons of the flesh, but they have divine power to destroy strongholds. We destroy arguments and every lofty opinion raised against the knowledge of God and take every thought captive to obey Christ. Think of that. That when you wage the warfare with the truth of God's word, your words aren't fleshly weapons like tanks and missiles. Like those look strong, but they're nothing compared to the divine missiles of God's word that can take down lofty arguments and convert people to Christ. Well, that's a good reason to wage, that's a good promise to rely on. Or Ephesians 6, you know, the armor of God passage. Finally, be strong in the Lord and in the power of His might. Put on the whole armor of God so you can stand against the schemes of the devil. The devil is more is stronger than you. It can take you down, brothers and sisters. But if you put on the armor of God, you take Him down. You really do. That's a good reason to wage the good warfare, isn't it? Or what about the promise given in the Great Commission. Make disciples of all nations. Wow, how can we do that? And it ends, and behold, I'm with you always to the end of the age. Isn't that a great promise? The Lord is always with me. He will never leave me or forsake me. The Lord is my helper. What can man do to me? Got all these promises. All these prophecies made over our lives as pastors, elders, deacons, and all God's people. So wage war according to these prophecies, these promises made over your life that He will use you. He'll go with you. He'll bless the words you speak when you open your mouth to teach the faith to your children. Sometimes you think, this is hopeless. This is useless. I might as well quit. They're not listening. Keep speaking the truth of God's word and leading them to Jesus Christ. Because even if they don't seem to get it now, who knows later on, right? To witness to your neighbor. To defend the faith. To admonish and correct those who are going astray. To admonish yourself. Wage the good warfare. Rely on the word of God, the promises of God, not your strength to fight, Timothy. Don't rely on your strength to fight. But rely on those prophecies made about you. Rely on what God has said. Rest there. 
Well, secondly, we see this faith that's worth fighting for. The way we fight is not only by depending on the prophecies, the power of the prophecies, but also the importance of holding on. You fight by holding on to faith and a good conscience. Look again at verse 18 and 19. This charge I entrust to you, Timothy, my child, in accordance with the prophecies previously made about you, but that, that by them you may wage the good warfare, holding what two things? Faith and a good conscience. By rejecting this, holding on to faith and a good conscience, by rejecting this, some have made shipwreck of their faith. So remember the prophecies and stand on them, but as you do that, hold on to faith and a good conscience. Let's look at each of these, holding faith. Now there's some discussion that whether Paul is speaking objectively, holding the faith, the true doctrine, the teachings of the gospel, of the Bible. For he adds that word the in 1 Timothy 6 verse 12, fight the good fight of the faith. And even right here in verse 18, he uses the word the. Some who have made shipwreck of their faith. Actually, it's the word of the faith. So maybe he's telling Timothy, hang on to the right doctrine. Don't be led astray by people like Hymenaeus. We know later in 2 Timothy what he was teaching. Get this. Hymenaeus was teaching what's called today sometimes Hymenaeanism. That Jesus has already come back and raised us from the dead. And everything's happened already. We're already in the new creation. Well, I sure hope not. That's a lie that undoes the faith and brings you to shipwreck. Timothy, don't deconstruct the faith. Many leaders are doing that in the 21st century. They've been pastors, they've been elders, they've been deacons, they've been Christians for a number of years, at least in name. And then they decide in their 40s or their 30s, that's bunk. The sad story, right, of Joshua Harris. That's bunk. Didn't hold on to the faith. It's a danger we face, I face. Because when you throw away the faith, the true doctrine, you're throwing away the Bible. And when you throw away the Bible, you throw away Jesus. When you throw away Jesus, you make shipwreck. You're in a stormy sea infested with sharks with nobody to help you. You're alone. How's that going to work? It's not going to. There's no faith that can save than faith in our Lord Jesus Christ. Holding the faith, but most likely here, though they're connected, he's speaking of faith subjectively. Hold on to your faith in Jesus Christ. Keep trusting. Keep looking to Jesus, the author and perfecter of your faith. Keep exercising faith. Again, those two are closely connected. Hold on to the faith, that true doctrine. And the other side, subjectively, keep believing that faith. Keep trusting the Lord Jesus Christ. 
That's the kind of use of faith used back in verse 5. Remember Paul says, the aim of our charge is love that issues from a pure heart and a good conscience and a sincere faith. And brothers and sisters, that's a vital part of our spiritual warfare to hold on to faith, your faith. Because we can become so focused on the troubles and on the enemies of the gospel that we start neglecting focusing on Jesus Christ. And we forget to focus on Jesus Christ. And suddenly the enemies can become larger than life and we actually can be converted to the enemy's side. That's happened. I know of a missionary who went to Turkey to witness to Muslims was so focused on learning the Muslim faith that he neglected to hold faith, to keep communion with Jesus, to maintain his own soul, to stay in the Bible and in prayer. And Islam overtook him. And today he's Muslim. Hold faith. Keep focusing on Jesus to maintain your own soul and your own confidence and your own courage and your own personal faith in God. Keep going to worship services to nourish your faith. Keep reading your Bibles daily. Thy word of grace, new courage gave. Stay in prayer. Stay in family prayer, in personal prayer. Chapter 6, when Paul says to Timothy, fight the good fight of the faith, he adds, and lay hold on the eternal life. Lay hold of it. Trusting Jesus and leaning on his word, congregation, is something we must keep doing every day or our faith will go stale and we'll lose our way. The enemy will sneak in. Because you know what's going to happen when we leave this service this morning or this afternoon? We step into the coming week. Something's going to happen that's going to get you off balance. Someone's going to say something that upsets you. that triggers you. You're going to get bad news, maybe. Maybe you're going to get sick. You hear of somebody losing their way in life. The prime minister will propose something that is alarming to you. Something you value will shatter, will be broken. God delays the rain that we prayed for. And the first thing that we'll do when we meet these things is to forget faith. Stop looking to Jesus and react badly. And return evil for evil. And we're happy and sweet one moment and enraged the next. And forget Jesus as our consolation and he's with us. Don't forget faith. Hold faith. Keep looking to Jesus in everything and for everything. And live out of the salvation that he has granted you. Live out of that salvation forgiveness. Promise of forgiveness. And the promise of the Holy Spirit to strengthen you. Live out of that every moment. Another part of fighting the good fight or waging the good warfare. Not just holding faith, but holding a good conscience. Your conscience is your internal warning and approval system. Apparatus. Your internal warning and approval apparatus given to you by God when when your conscience is informed by the Word of God, it's got God's Word written on it, it'll start talking to you. 
It'll start talking to you and saying, no, don't think that. No, don't say that. No, don't do that. And keeping a good conscience is listening to your conscience. Sometimes your conscience will say, yes, that was the right response. Yes, that's how God wants you to think about that situation. But you hold a good conscience when you listen to it. When you keep it alive and active and don't violate it. Your conscience tells you you've got bad habits. Listen to it, repent, and ask the Lord to forgive you and change you right there. Don't ignore it. Or it'll stop talking to you finally. Conscience, if you want to snap impatiently at your child, or if you do, listen to your conscience tell you, don't do that, or you shouldn't have done that. It'll scold you. Then deal with it. Keep your conscience clean. If your conscience tells you you should be more helpful to your husband or your wife, listen to it. If it tells you that you shouldn't be watching this or doing that, listen to it. If it tells you that you should be gathering God's people instead of staying home or going to the beach, listen to it. If it tells you that you're neglecting prayer and and the reading of Scripture, listen to it. Because if you don't, your conscience will get calloused. It will get tired. It will stop talking to you. And you'll shipwreck your faith, says the Bible, on the rocks of a sinful life because you're just letting sin take over. That's what happened to Ravi Zacharias. And not only to him, many ministers, elders, and deacons, many Christians may have sound doctrine but a defiled conscience. They go on in their sins without listening to their conscience and eventually that will lead to making shipwreck of your life and faith and your ministry and your testimony. Timothy, I charge you to wage the good warfare by holding faith, keep looking to Jesus, and a good conscience. Keep listening to what your conscience is telling you is good and not good. It's important to hold on because the the Christian faith is a fight worth fighting. It's a faith worth fighting for because it's the only faith that fully takes care of all your sins and guilt. The only faith that fully takes care of all God's judgment that we deserve. Fully takes care of your death because God sent His Son, Jesus Christ, into the world to save sinners. He lived a perfect life for us to cover all our imperfections, all our incompleteness. He took our guilt to the cross to pay for our sins. He took God's intense anger and judgment with Him to the cross. And He died and, and He was buried to take that all away from me. And He rose again to give me a new life. There's no other faith that takes care of everything. Except the faith that is in Christ Jesus. A faith so grand and glorious that not only when you die will he take your soul to heaven, but when he comes back he'll raise your body from the grave and body and soul you'll live with him forever in the new creation. What other faith? What other God? What other Savior? What other Savior is going to do that? It's a faith worth fighting for. 
Paul discovered this in a very personal way, remember? God proved it in his own experience, in his own testimony, his own life. It's a trustworthy saying and deserving of all acceptance. Verse 15, Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners of whom I am the foremost. I was a blasphemer. Christ made me a believer. I was a persecutor. Christ made me a preacher. I was an abuser. Christ made me an ambassador. Only Christ, only the Christian faith can do that. It's a faith worth fighting for. But then there's the danger of shipwreck. And that's also why it's a faith worth fighting. Because if you don't, if you reject faith in a good conscience, that's what it says here. If you reject faith in a good conscience, you'll make shipwreck of your faith. By rejecting this 19b, holding faith in a good conscience... Some have made shipwreck of their faith, among whom are Hymenaeus and Alexander, whom I've handed over to Satan, that they may learn not to blaspheme. Brothers and sisters, defend the faith. Guard your own faith. Hold on to faith and a good conscience. Because if you don't, you'll be surprised how far you can slide away from Jesus Christ and from the truth that is in him. And we know and confess with thanksgiving that a true believer will come back to the faith if he or she falls away. We'll come back to Christ even after shipwreck. That's Paul's hope for Hymenaeus and Alexander. I've handed them over to Satan that they may learn not to blaspheme. His hope for them is that God will still bring them back. But that doesn't mean we can't shipwreck our own faith. That's what happened to these two guys. Paul names them as a concrete example of what can happen to me or you if we don't focus on Christ, if we don't stay in the Word, and if we don't listen to our conscience. We can fall down so far that we might even have to be put out of the church, as Paul had to do to them because they rejected holding on to faith and a good conscience. They neglected their faith. And they didn't take care of their sins when they transgressed. And they slowly but surely went slip sliding away from the faith and made shipwreck, shipwreck of it. So after many warnings, when these two men wouldn't heed Paul's rebukes and corrections and the churches, he handed them over to Satan. And that's language doesn't mean he put them in hell. But 1 Corinthians 5, he put them out of the church. He expelled them from the church. He excommunicated them in the presence of the congregation. And you might say, put them out in the world where Satan is the boss of people's lives. That's what it is to be handed over to Satan. Out of the fellowship of believers, out of the ministry of the word, out of the gospel environment, into the world where Satan is your boss and will beat you up. And he did this in the prayer that God would use that extreme remedy as a way to teach them a lesson not to blaspheme Christ, to bring them to repentance and faith, as Paul says later to Timothy in 2 Timothy 2. Correct your opponents, Timothy, with gentleness so that God may perhaps grant them repentance leading to a knowledge of the truth, that they may come to their senses and escape from the snare of the devil after being captured by him to do his will. We can get captured by him to do as well. 
And then we need the ministry of God's word. The ministry of warning and rebuke and correction. The ministry of the promises of God. It'll fully forgive and restore those who come back, who repent. To bring us back. Now we'll speak more, Lord willing, about the power of church discipline later. But for now, I want to close with a warning against making shipwreck of your faith, brothers and sisters. Are you looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of your faith? Are you resting in his promises? Are you believing his word? Are you trusting him for the strength and grace you need to wage the good warfare? Are you fighting? Are you fighting? Do you value the faith? Is it a faith worth fighting for for you? Are you listening to Jesus when he speaks to you through your conscience? and tells you that your life is not headed in the right direction. It's time to repent and change direction before you throw everything away. Paul tells Timothy this, not because he likes to say bad things about Hymenaeus and Alexander, but because God uses warnings and threats, the Bible says, to help us see the importance of hanging on to Jesus, holding on to eternal life, being careful as believers to keep trusting Keep following the Lord. Because the Christian life is a faith worth fighting for and it must be fought. Am I a soldier of the cross, a follower of the Lamb? Shall I fear to own his cause or blush to speak his name? Since I must fight if I would reign, increase my courage, Lord. I'll bear the toil, endure the pain, supported by thy word. Amen. Our Father in heaven, thank you for this call, this charge, this reminder. Thank you for the gospel. If there ever was something worth fighting for, Lord, it is your saving truth in Jesus Christ. That is worth the whole world to me. That is worth the whole world to us. We would rather let anything go and have that rather than to miss out on that and keep hanging on to other things. So give us strength to fight the good fight of faith. Help us to hold faith and a good conscience and to keep relying on your wonderful promises and to keep resting in the Lord Jesus Christ. Lead us in your way. We may sail on that ship that protects us from the sharks and from the storm and takes us safely through to that blissful shore. In Jesus we pray with thanksgiving. Amen.